Today on CityCast Pittsburgh, Jasmine Green kind of does it all. She's a mental health advocate, a visual artist, and a poet who creates under the name Black Girl Absolute. She also just got back from a residency out west where she was working on a new book that she hopes can help kids navigate the feeling of loneliness. It's Wednesday, August 17th. I'm Morgan Moody, and this is CityCast Pittsburgh. You're the first person to be awarded this Pittsburgh Foundation Artist Residency. It's the Tongue River Artist Residency. It sent you to Dayton, Wyoming. I was going to say Dayton, Ohio. That's what I'm more familiar with. So <laughs> how how has this residency uh, been different than any other ones that you've ever been accepted to? Yeah, going to Dayton and just like having a month where it's like, you're leading this. Like, we, <laughs> we are not going to tell you, you know, um, you know what the, the plan's going to be. There's no itinerary. It's just all on you and what you want to do. And so (laughs) even though I was expecting it going in, because obviously we had talked uh, with like the Pittsburgh Foundation and with Doug and Jeanette of Tongue River Artist Residency uh, ahead of time, there was still that moment of like being there as like, okay, I'm here in Wyoming. I don't know what I'm going to do. <laughs> what, what? I can't imagine it either. What What does, I, you know, the only thing I know about Wyoming, and I don't even know, if is, isn't that where Kanye was at? Um, I just know cowboys. <laughs> but what does, what was it like for you being a Pittsburgh native? Now you're kind of dropped in Wyoming. What, what did it look like? I spent the vast majority of my time exploring. I spent a lot of it, you know, very solitary. So just exploring like the Bighorn Mountains. So the Bighorns are part of the Rocky Mountain range. And so I spent that time just, you know, really just getting out and driving around. And I found that that was the easiest way to get into the mindset about writing. Um, I remember having some check-ins with representatives from the Pittsburgh Foundation. So I, it sounds weird saying representatives because Celeste is like, one of my favorite people, but Celeste Smith, Celeste Smith pro- yeah. yes, the senior program officer for the Pittsburgh Foundation. Um, I had a check-in with her very early on. Um, one, going into these feelings about like frustration that I feel like I'm not writing enough. And <laughs> just this feeling of like, well, you know, I'm up here. This is this opportunity. I should be like utilizing it to the fullest. And so it's just like, calm down. The part of the uh, residency application was going into like, you know, this isn't like a project-based residency. Like you could just go up there and sleep for the entire time, even if it is, I'm just resting. And then months down the line, it's like, oh, you know, based off of this experience, I've pulled something, you know, from my own personal experiences with mental health. And because I had that rest, it enabled me to get in that space to write. Um, so you didn't have you didn't have to come out of this with no some <laughs> masterpiece. It was just kind no. of like, you know, just come here to create. No, which, uh, yes, it, there, there was no like, you know, you're going off for the specific mission, you need to come back with like A, B and just, C done. Just that self added pressure, but no, yes. no real existing <laughs> pressure. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> And well, you do, you do have, you, you've been talking about the writing and, and you have a book coming out, uh, a field guide for blue girls. Where mm-hmm. are you in the process with your book? 
the um, book itself is going to be a collection of poetry, prose, and um, visual art pieces. It's something that I haven't done before where I've combined different modes of creativity into one cohesive vision. I've never seen like my poetry and my paintings as being one and the same. They usually are contributing to like a specific facet of like either it's like the black identity or like black femme identity, black woman identity. Um, if it's talking about like mental health, if it's talking about family structure, if it's talking about like structural oppression and like our reaction to it and how we can push back against that and organize against that. Like usually it's very specific things and they don't really connect to one another outside of just being a part of this, um, this wholeness of our like black uh, human, like black humanity. Yeah. And so like that part is really exciting, but in terms of how much I've been able to progress, I think I'm maybe about halfway through the poems that I've wanted to write. Um, so some of the pieces are going to be talking about my experience with my parents and um, mm -hmm. like the struggles of what it's like to raise a child who is currently undergoing mental health crises and not being able to understand that. And then for the poem in relation to my dad, I know the poem is going to be talking about repairing our relationship because we've we've had a fractured relationship in my adulthood and so um poems like that I actually want to try to like bring my parents into the creative process for that like yeah. I had the idea while I was dating and I was like I can't just you know write this on my own I actually need to have a conversation with them about that and there are a few poems like that where it's like I want to bring other people's perspectives in because you know a lot of this is the ways that I can pass along the lessons that I've learned dealing with my mental um, health uh, with black women and girls and like the next generation or people even in my generation or, you know, if there's anyone who can really pull from this and pull something that will just make them feel less alone, you know, it's for whoever <laughs> needs to feel less alone. And a lot of your art and your work is centered around mental health. Um, so kind of at what age did you feel like you were experiencing the, the I don't know, is it heavy effects of, of ignoring your mental health for so long or not really knowing how to properly deal with it? So uh, from my own recollection, I know I was dealing with things like neurodivergency, you know, very early on, I think. I would sort of um, kind of flit from topic to topic, like it's really hard to keep my focus on very you know, one specific thing. Uh, and that was the case when I was younger. It's still the case today. Uh, I just have more tools to deal with it now. Yeah. Um, but uh, I know I started dealing with things like um, depression when I was around like 11 or 12 years old. Um, and then I started dealing with things like anxiety as I was approaching adulthood. Um, I know like my mom was trying her best for a good chunk of our childhood. She was a single parent um, after my parents divorced. Mm -hmm. um, I know my mom was trying her best to create a space in which, you know, all of her children felt understood and recognized. But of course, she's one person. What resources, what resources did you have or did you feel like you were using um, at that time? I really didn't have many. Um I had like the school guidance counselor, which mm -hmm. is probably the closest that, you know, a lot of children like myself in public school had access to in terms of like a mental health professional, quote unquote. Um, 
And, you know, as we know, like the qualifications for a school guidance counselor can be pretty all over the board. Um, You don't necessarily have to be a mental health professional to be a school guidance counselor. And uh, I will say (laughs) that all of the guidance counselors I had, they did try, like they did make attempts. Um, But I, yeah, I I spent a lot of my childhood kind of feeling alone and how I was feeling and the ways that I tried to articulate how I was feeling. It didn't feel like it got across. And I think art and like writing and drawing specifically were kind of the very few ways I had to really get out those frustrations and those feelings of loneliness and uh, create like a tangible idea out of what was going on in my head. So I was able to process it a little better. When did you adopt the moniker Black Girl Absolute? So as I was thinking of different names, I was, I think this was around the time that like cultural appropriation and the mainstream, you know, blew up. Obviously cultural appropriation has existed for centuries, as long as cultures could be appropriated. Yes. (laughs) Um, Centuries, millennia. (laughs) Mm -hmm. um yeah whenever I was uh I was kind of in the the mix of those conversations and kind of this feeling of even the way that you know people would talk about black women and measuring our worth it would always be in the context of like oh well how do you compare to whiteness like oh this like huge black celebrity is the black so-and-so version of a white celebrity Mm -hmm. and so I began just like thinking and like stewing in this thought of like why do we feel the need to value blackness through how it compares to whiteness or how it connects to whiteness or even just outside of blackness of itself that all people have the right to find value in their own identities outside of or not even in relation to other people and so um yeah black girl absolute came (laughs) from that process where it's uh basically the the way that i describe it is onto ourselves we are absolute So we don't need to look outside of ourselves to find the answers to what makes us great, to what makes us human, uh, that we don't need to be compared in order to be valuable, worthy beings. So as you've kind of grown into yourself more, grown into your art, you've also managed to create a path for yourself that includes a lot of your passions, um, mental health care, advocacy, art. You're the director of education for One Hood. So how do your classes and the programs maybe that you kind of head up at One Hood reflect reflect all of that? Yeah, so um, I'm still very new to this role. So it's uh, exciting where I'm beginning to think of like, how can I pull a lot of the lessons that I myself have learned through my own artistic pra- uh, practice, things that I've you know accrued in college and um, those experiences, which a lot of the students who come through are in this transitionary period between high school and college and having a lot of anxiety about that process. Mm -hmm. Um, And so a lot of the work that we've been doing currently um, is in helping students get like a lot of the tools that they need. I know as I was making the transition from high school to college, I didn't come from a very like privileged family. And so a lot of the things that I've acquired I've kind of had to do on my own or you know through like cursory searches online that didn't really you know bear a lot so it was a lot of like trial and error um and so these are things like you know how do you write a resume how do you um envision yourself in the future like do you see yourself 5 10 20 years down the line from where you are now Mm -hmm. um I know as I was going through like the process of like transitioning from high school to college that like 
you know, it's kind of this idea where it's set out for you. It's like, okay, you're going to graduate high school, you go to college, you get your job, and then, you know, that's it. Like the process is lined out. But in practice, I know for myself, there was like a lot of questions that I had that I didn't feel necessarily were answered. Like if you wanted to pursue an artistic career, I know for me that when I was in college, and this is when I was doing a lot of my like growth as an artist that I didn't even see arts as a possible career kind of just always felt like a hobby or like something that I could use to make money on the side. Um, But especially being in one hood, there was, you know, this possibility that opened that, hey, this could be the thing that you do. And so um, a lot of what I'm excited about, and this is going to be some programs we're going to have this fall, is how do you create a career out of your artistic practice? And so, um, yeah, it's really exciting to uh, find ways to open the the scope, um, widen the scope of what people are able to do. Jasmine Green is the director of education for One Hood. She's also a painter. She's also a writer. She does everything. She's also Black Girl Absolute. Thank you so much (laughs) for joining us today, Jasmine. Thank you again so much. It was wonderful talking with you today. Okay, some news before you go. Did you hear last week about the author Salman Rushdie being stabbed on stage while he was in New York? Well, a Pittsburgher was on stage with him and suffered minor injuries. Henry Reese is the co-founder of City of Asylum, the local organization that shelters persecuted writers. Reese said the stabbing was an attack not only on him and his organization, but also free expression. This week, construction begins on Polish Hill's first permanently affordable homes. City of Bridges Community Land Trust says the average price of homes in the neighborhood has more than tripled since 2015 to nearly $300,000. The group notes that that's a cost that's out of reach for most residents. Plus, the group against smog and pollution is recruiting high school students, grades 9 through 11, for a year-long educational program that trains a new generation of air quality advocates. Applications are due by September 12th. That's all for today here on CityCast Pittsburgh. If you like the show, you know the routine. Tell your friends, rate us, leave us a review, subscribe to our morning newsletter. We would love you. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more news from around the city. So we'll see you then. What if somebody walked past and was like, I listened to that podcast and she records it in her closet. (laughs) 